Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. You know, you should do what you're good at. You know, if you, Gates was good at administration. He was not good in command. He was not a frontline leader. He's not the one to lead charges up the hill. He's, he's no Benedict Arnold. And if he had just had more self-awareness and self-acceptance, I think he would have, you know, got a better place in history here. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mike Matheny offering a new profile of General Horatio Gates. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle Series, with two new releases, The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan, and The Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mike Matheny, and he'll be discussing the career and reputation of General Horatio Gates. Not enough Americans really have a good handle of who Horatio Gates was and just how important uh, he really played out to be or turned out to be in service of the revolution. He was as important as any major commanding officer for most of the war. Yet we don't always remember him that way, and Mike Matheny talks about why. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Mike Matheny. Mike Matheny, welcome back. Hey, Brady, thanks for having me. Tell us about your background. Sure, yeah, I'm a big history fan. I got a Bachelor of Arts in History from James Madison University, and more recently a Master's of Arts from University of Maryland. I'm also in the Army. I'm an Army officer of about 11 years. I'm an adjutant general, or AG, which explains my connection to this, this topic a little bit. Um, yeah, and currently I teach at West Point in the American History Division. That's my job in the Army. and I teach introductory courses on the history of the Army and just American history in general. What first drew your interest into this topic? I've often and long been interested in the controversies around Horatio Gates and kind of in the title of the article, is he a hero or a zero? For most historians very quickly and obviously say he's a zero. He's, you know, kind of a worthless humiliation. But at the same time, <laughs> I mean, it can't be that, that simple, right? Uh, in, in the world of the AG officers, for what it's worth in the Army, he's still considered the founder of the AG Corps since he is the first adjutant general. Um, so his, his name's on a lot of stuff. They still give medals, uh, even today, to adjutant general officers. You can learn the Horatio Gates medal, uh, similar to the one that Congress gave Horatio Gates. So he's still a symbol of victory and, you know, got all these positive connotations. There's still the giant painting of him in the Capitol, right, of his victory at Saratoga. Um, so my main interest in this topic was how, how can this be true? How are we both celebrating this person as a hero, and yet, depending on how you tell the story and where you end his story, he's, it ends in utter humiliation for him. How can this both be true? What, what is the paradox here? So I'm really powerfully drawn to him as, as a character and as a human. Mike, tell us about Gates' early life. 
Right. I don't don't have a whole lot of detail. I know he comes from England, born in England, a very humble background, winds up in the British Army as a junior officer, as a lieutenant under Edward Cornwallis. And at some point he comes over to serve in Nova Scotia, uh, does well enough to get promoted to captain, uh, winds up in New York in the colonial days, right on the eve of the French and Indian War there. How would you describe the start of his military career? So all I've gathered a whole lot, it wasn't the main focus of my study, but when the French Indian War breaks out, he's in that war. He's very lucky. Um, he actually meets George Washington during this time. He's on uh, General Braddock's expedition at Mongahelia. He, he's wounded in that expedition. So that's kind of an interesting start. And then after that, he ties his fortunes. He meets. He winds up on the staff of General Robert Mockton who I don't know a whole lot about, but apparently he has a lot of successes, a lot of victories in that war. Uh, They get along really well. This general really likes Ratio Gates, and his star kind of rises from there. Uh, He lets him go back to London to report the news of some great victory. And uh, upon reporting this news, Ratio Gates is promoted to major in the British Army. Uh, So it was very lucky indeed just for being the staff officer. And following that, though, his luck kind of stops for a bit. Even though he's promoted to major, he can't find a new position to serve. The British Army is drawing down a little bit. After the French and Indian War is over, he actually gives up briefly on his military career. He sells his commission, and he comes back to America as a colonist and settles down in Virginia. How did he become involved in the American Revolution? Yeah, that is an interesting point. Again, I don't have a lot of details on this. From the biography I read, this is uh, Paul David Nelson. That was my main secondary source here. He said he was always sympathetic to the patriotic cause. He's, he's written letters to both Washington and Charles Lee, kind of sharing these sympathetic views as the rebellion's starting up. And it doesn't look like he has to do a whole lot. I guess his, his name is well known in the Continental Congress. Of course, famously, when they're picking who's going to be in command of the Continental Army, they unanimously pick Washington. But apparently his, his name's in the mix somewhere because they pick him without him even being there. He doesn't attend the Congress, but he gets a letter that he is also going to be a major general. And then that's when they pick him to be Washington's adjutant general right at the start of the war in 1775. Mike, what do you feel were Gates' greatest accomplishments during the war? Right. This is my favorite part of the story. Uh, <laughs> your case here. Uh, if, you, if you just tell the first half of his career in the revolution, you get the hero half here. Uh, with plenty of controversies mixed in it as well. But uh, obviously his first job, I called it, you know, Washington's right-hand man. He's the adjutant general, which at that time is like what we now call the executive officer. He's basically the second in command, helping Washington run everything as they're forming the army. Right off the bat, they're having all these problems of personnel and logistics and sanitation. It's a mess outside Boston. And he is there helping to kind of organize, bring order out of the chaos there. And apparently he does very well. He gets this first strength return there. Washington seems to like him. He's writing positive things about him. When the Continental Army is uh, victorious outside Boston, the British evacuate Boston. They like him so much they recommend him for promotion. And this is why he ends up leaving Washington's staff. And he eventually winds up being in command of the Northern Army after uh, Philip Schuyler uh, gets relieved from the Northern Army. and. This is still Washington likes him so much that he writes letters to him asking him to come back to be his adjutant general, saying that he did such a great job they couldn't find a good replacement for him. Would he come back? And this is kind of the first point in the story where it's like, oh, if he had done that, if he had just stayed with Washington, he probably would have would have been a hero for this whole story. 
But of course, he's extremely ambitious. He wants greater things in life. He goes on to command the Northern Army, where apparently he does pretty well there as well. All sorts of historians say he improves morale. One used the word electrified morale. The troops like him. Um, apparently, he's very popular with the troops. He goes up, this is famously in 1777, approaching the Battle of Saratoga, the turning point of the war. Uh, Burgoyne's coming down from the south. Gates is coming up from the north to try and stop him before he gets to Albany. They meet uh, just south of Saratoga. And here we have another huge debate about who's, who deserves credit for the victory at Saratoga here. And the, the consensus I seem to be encountering here in most sources, certainly most secondary sources and people you talk to today, say, well, Gates doesn't deserve credit. This is Benedict Arnold is the one who leads the charge and wins the victory at Saratoga. And then Gates doesn't, you know, he writes back to Congress, says, uh, doesn't even mention Arnold's name in the battle at all, gives Arnold zero credit. Uh, you know, debates ensue, arguments ensue. Gates actually relieves Arnold from command. Arnold sticks around anyway. They have a second engagement at Saratoga. Arnold leads the charge up a hill. Huge victory, saves the day. And at the end of it, Gates somehow gets credit for all of this. And that's why he gets the medal. He gets the painting in the Capitol. It's still there. So everyone thinks, you know, he's, he is the hero here. To what extent do you give him credit? This is, there's a lot of room to argue here. I think that most people would say, yeah, he's, he's the political general. He's stealing credit. He's good at self-aggrandizing in the army. There is a saying, the commander is responsible for everything the unit does or fails to do. So just based on he was the commander, he he was playing a role, he was setting conditions. I think he deserves some credit for that. But I, I certainly sympathize that one of his skills is this political connection that he's doing. And he's certainly very deceitful in that he's not sharing credit with Arnold at all. He's not even telling Washington about Saratoga at all. Washington has to hear it secondhand about this amazing victory that's kind of saving the day, saving the whole cause of the revolution itself. So is, is kind of a very interesting figure uh, in that regard. Uh, but of course, that's that's the high point. After that, it's it's all downhill for Horatio Gates. Mike, if you could talk a bit about the desire by some to replace George Washington with Horatio Gates. Yeah, from what I gather, this is the famous Conway Cabal, which is the subject of many other articles and books here. But while Gates has this amazing year, this victory at Saratoga in 1777, leads to the French alliance at the turning point of the revolution, Washington has a terrible year down south. He has defeats at Brandywine and Germantown. Things are not looking good for Washington at all. And so this is stirring up a lot of rumors and intrigue in Congress and uh, General uh, Conway, of course, saying, well, maybe Gates should be in charge instead of Washington. And Gates' own role in this is kind of murky. We're not really sure, but it does seem that he would certainly be happy enough to take Washington's place if Congress wanted to give it to him. He's happy to reap the rewards. Um, so this is kind of an interesting point of contingency and how things could have gone, if you could imagine, knowing what comes next, what would have happened. I mean, if Gates had replaced Washington, that how disastrous that, that could have been, that you know, could have changed everything. So that doesn't happen, thankfully. Gates gets a different job and Washington stays in charge there. But it does completely sever their relationship with the two. It's just a massive falling out between Washington and Gates and the first of many problems as Gates' career kind of goes downhill. What do you think were Gates' greatest qualities as a military commander? There are. This is is what connected me to him. As an AG officer today, our main role is administration, personnel, human resources in particular. And so from that regard, Gates is kind of the appropriate kind of icon for the AG Corps in that 
he did do a good job at that. He did do well as the adjutant general. When he's in a support position, when he's a staff officer, he seems to do really well. That's how it was for him in the French and Indian War. That's how it was when he was with Washington outside Boston in the first year. So he seems to excel there. His other main strength is this political connection that despite all these controversies, he seems to be able to always have the favor and always have friends in Congress who want to back him up and you know agree with him. And yet that, how does he steal all this credit from Saratoga and get that credit from there? And even after, we're about to talk about the disasters that come next at Camden, even after that, he's able to come back into the Army after Camden. He still has friends in Congress even beyond that. Um, so it's almost it's kind of really surprising that he's able to have these very strong political connections. So I think those are his two talents, their administration and, and politics. How did things unravel for Gates? Yeah, after Saratoga, he bounces around from a, to a couple other posts, but he, he actually resigns from the army briefly. It, it, this is where I keep saying it's his, his ambition is his downfall. He's way too ambitious. He, he since they don't want to make him the new Washington and put him in charge, he, he you know he's kind of grumpy about that. Bounces around. Eventually, things as the British switch their southern strategy, things aren't going well in the South and the Carolinas. They're looking for a new commander to put in the South, and Washington wants Nathaniel Green to do it. Congress actually puts Gates to do it. Again, going back to these political connections that they think he's really good. They think he's the hero of Saratoga. And so Gates accepts. He goes down to the South, tries to do you know the Saratoga magic there, but is not as lucky this time. His luck kind of runs out. And he doesn't have as much help. There's no Benedict Arnold down there to lead you know, charges for him. There's no uh, Daniel Morgan helping him out this time. And uh, so it, it just doesn't work for him. His, his first, very first action is to kind of just do a head-on, you know, direct movement towards the British. They kind of bump into them in Camden. Uh, I found some articles that will dispute this and you know, go into the nuances of this. But the bottom line was Camden is a disaster complete unmitigated humiliation for gates uh, the british you know just fold up these militias so quickly and gates uh, allegedly personally flees and just utter cowardice you know leaves his troops as the battle is still unfolding uh, you know runs rides his horse 60 miles away from the battlefield and, and uh, this rumor spreads of this hamilton makes fun of him for this there's all, a bunch of quotes making fun of him for this and this this is what kind of destroyed his reputation so uh, it was, if you end the story here <laughs> instead of at Saratoga, now he's the zero. Now it's that's kind of there's no coming back from that. And yet he does try. He tries to come back from it <laughs> for years. He writes to Congress saying, "You know, this is all this injustice has been done to me. You got to reinstate me and clear my name. I want to, you know, court inquiry done into this." And amazingly, they actually put him back at, at the final year of the war. They put him back as a general. He rejoins Washington's staff at the last uh, cantonment in Newburgh, in New York only to become a part of another scandal, famously the Newburgh conspiracy, where the war is kind of winding down. It's, it's just about over. It's after Yorktown. There's not a whole lot of action. And Gates is going to sympathize with these conspirators who are you know, debating some sort of radical action against Congress based on payments and retirement pensions. And you know, Gates appears to be sympathizing with some of this. And Washington famously immortalizes himself when he puts down this conspiracy. And Gates is on, on the other side of Washington, once again, kind of putting him on the, the wrong side of history there. So a very lackluster ending for his career. How does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better? Yeah, I got uh, two two things I would say. I think one is just to emphasize this point of contingency of just, you know, how how much luck 
what, how much of a role luck played in all of this with the American Revolution? I mean, could you imagine if the Conway cabal had played out and, you know, Gates actually did replace Washington <laughs> after Saratoga? I mean, the, the war could have gone so differently, almost certainly for the worse. Um, so it's, it's kind of shocking uh, to, just to see these personalities involved here. But I think the more interesting one for me that it, I really took away from my research and kind of my journey of looking into Horatio Gates as a person is uh, just life lessons about humility and checking ambitions. And, you know, you should do what you're good at. You know, if you, Gates was good at administration. He was not good in command. He was not a frontline leader. He's not the one to lead charges up the hill. He's, he's no Benedict Arnold. And if he had just had more self-awareness and self-acceptance, I think he would have, you know, got a better place in history here. Um, so for me, it was about don't let ambitions go unchecked. And he, he says as much as this really cool quote I found where he's writing to his son right after Saratoga, right after this great victory. And just paraphrasing, he essentially says, you know, don't get too excited for me. We've seen good times and bad times, and we got to go through both with an equal mind. And it was that quote that just, it, there was some human connection there. I was like, wow, if only my Gates had followed his own advice, like that's some powerful stuff there. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, that's that's where it left off for me. Mike Matheny, thanks again. Thank you. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.